Hey, if you have your Bibles, I want to read Matthew chapter 28, just a few verses to us as we celebrate Easter Sunday, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, and, and every Sunday for us is a celebration of the fact that Christ is alive. Uh, but this is a special Sunday, specifically where we focus in uh, explicitly on this truth and on these texts, specifically in the story, uh, and let me read it to us in Matthew chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said come see the place where he lay then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold he is going to or he's going before you to Galilee there you will see him see I have told you so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples and behold Jesus met them and said greetings and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him then Jesus said to them do not be afraid Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. If we will, I want to do a thought experiment just by way of introduction to help us set up this text. And what I mean by thought experiment, I want you to go with me, if you can, to about a Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock, the Friday before what would be the first Resurrection Sunday. We know that Jesus' crucifixion ended around 3 p.m. on Saturday afternoon, or excuse me, Friday afternoon. And so I want to go to that moment. I want you, if you can, to try to put yourself in the mind of one of the disciples or put yourself in the mind of specifically Mary Magdalene who was there or the mother Mary or there are a few other Marys that we see throughout the Gospels that were likely there as well. And so put yourself in, in one of their shoes and one of their minds and just, and just want to process the events as they are happening. We have the great privilege of looking back on the events and celebrating Easter years after it has happened, where we have the complete story written down for us and told for us. But imagine we don't have that. Imagine we're in this moment, and imagine you are one of them, and you're right there with them, and you're, you're recognizing and you're seeing that Jesus was just crucified, and they're beginning to take him off the cross, and you're asking this question, what just happened? Just five days earlier, that the, the, uh, this, the same people, Jerusalem, the, the, the Jewish people in the community were just, as Jesus was entering Jerusalem, just exalting him as king of the Jews and king of all nations. Now you, because you've been close to Jesus for many years now, that you know who Jesus is in the sense that you know that he has claimed clearly to be the Messiah. He has, been, he has claimed to be the king of, that the Israelite people have been looking for for hundreds and hundreds of years, this perfect Messiah who is going to bring them out of slavery, who is going to make them a great nation again. And now you know this to be Jesus, the Messiah. But you've known this and other people haven't recognized this. But on Palm Sunday or during his triumphant entry, just five days before, you were so excited because everyone finally recognized what you knew to be true, that Jesus was king. But you got a problem because something happened between last Sunday and today, because kings can't reign if they're dead. And all of a sudden, what you believed and known to be true, that Jesus was the king, uh, the Messiah of not only the Jews, but all nations, has all of a sudden just been crucified. What happened? 
All of us has been in a moment, not quite like this, but similar in the sense that everything's going better than you had hoped or just as planned, then all of a sudden it takes a 180 and everything goes wrong. And you find yourself after everything's gone wrong and go, what just happened? This isn't how things are supposed to turn out. Surely this is not how the story ends. Things weren't supposed to go this way. I had a plan. I had it all figured out in my mind. I, this is how it was supposed to be. But then all of a sudden, it's completely different. Any of you ever been in a moment where your things didn't go according to plan and you're asking yourself, and better yet, you're probably asking God, why is this happening? You're watching... Imagine the mother of Jesus is watching Jesus being taken off the cross. And scripture tells us that he was, he was wrapped in fine linen and laid in a tomb. And you can't help but to picture as your son, your firstborn, your oldest son is now dead and wrapped in linen. You can't help but think of the moment just a little over 30 years before where he was born and he was wrapped in linen and laid in a manger. You can't help as a mom to picture that moment. And you can't help but to go, what just happened? How could this be? This isn't how the story is supposed to end. But Sabbath is coming, and you know that you can't work on Sabbath, and you've got to rest on Sabbath, so they have to get Jesus off the cross, and they put him in the tomb. And so evening has come around 6 o'clock. It's getting dark, and officially the Sabbath day has begun. For us, we think of days in the morning when it begins. But for the Jewish day, they recognize the day beginning with night. And so technically Friday night, 6 p.m., is beginning of Saturday for and recognizing the Sabbath. So the Sabbath has come. You just went through Thursday night, the betrayal of Jesus, his trial, and quickly was beaten and crucified by midday. And so you probably didn't, as a follower of Jesus, you probably didn't get much sleep on Thursday. But I promise you, you're not getting much sleep on Friday night either. Now, I want us to know something, that everything I'm saying, I said it's a thought experiment. We don't have scripture to say this. That we're just, I'm just trying to use human experience to try to think, what would the disciples be thinking in this moment? What, what would Mary Magdalene, what would some of the other people be thinking? And you go in to the evening, and although you're exhausted, sleep evades you. All of us know what it's like to have moments where our mind is going, our emotions are going, and we just can't sleep. You may try to sleep, you're exhausted, but you just can't sleep. You, you have these moments where the pendulum swings to one side where you're so overcome with hurt and brokenness because of the loss of a close friend and the loss of your dreams even or your hopes or your belief in what is to be and the loss of a close friend in Jesus. You go from hurt and brokenness where you just weep to, to when the pendulum swings the other way where you're just angry. You're filled with bitterness. You're filled with rage. How could someone betray Jesus? How could they do this? And this was an unjust killing, and your emotions just can't wait till the Sabbath is over till you can do something about it. Saturday, or excuse me, Friday night comes, and Saturday morning comes, and it's still the Sabbath. Many of the Jews are, are going into the synagogue for worship on Saturday morning, but you probably just can't go. You're probably either one mad at them because they may have potentially very much been the same people who crucified him and were, or a combination of you being mad at them and a combination of you being mad at God. You just, you just don't go. But friends and close friends come together and begin to console and begin to have conversations. We know what this is like with the loss of a close friend during a wake or something like that. We gather together and we console, we laugh, we tell stories of the lost one and these things and but there probably wasn't much laughter on this morning. Saturday, all the day goes by, and there's nothing you can do. I call this Saturday Nothing 
Saturday. You got what we now call Good Friday. I promise you, the very first Friday this happened, it wouldn't have been called Good Friday. But we now, knowing the end of the story, call it Good Friday. And you got nothing Saturday. Why nothing Saturday? Because we don't have any scripture telling us really what's going on. We got a few small stories, not dealing with Jesus' disciples, but just kind of between the leaders and what they did on Saturday. But besides that, we have nothing on Saturday. It's an empty day. It's a rest day. You are forced to do nothing but simply ask the question, why is this happening? Or better yet, why has this happened? Surely this is not how the story ends. Saturday evening comes and Once again, there's probably not much sleep going on. Anticipation is building because you're now excited because technically Sabbath is over, but it's dark, and so you can't go to the tomb uh, to prepare his body for a proper burial. We know that Mary Magdalene and Mary would show up on Sunday morning at the bright as soon as light comes out so that they could prepare his body for a proper burial. I want you to notice something. The fact that they're going to prepare his body, they were not waiting anticipation with the thought that he might not be there. And so there wasn't much hope on Saturday night. There was anticipation, but not a whole lot of hope. Finally, Sunday morning comes, and we get to verse 1 again. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of week, which is Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the mother, and the other, excuse me, and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for, the fear, uh, for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead. But the angel said to the woman, uh, Do not be afraid, to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. If you've got a bulletin or just writing some notes down, there's just four things I want us to see today. The first is we see a miracle. I want, to, I want to be clear about this. We see a miracle. Now, I just took us on a thought experiment because I want us the best we can to kind of feel the emotions and understand that we, because we know the end of the story and we celebrate Easter, we come and celebrate, and it is a celebration. It's an excitement. We come with great anticipation. We come to Good Friday, and we go through nothing Saturday knowing that Easter is coming, that Sunday is coming. But we got to understand something. The very first Easter, they were not having a celebration at least not at first that nothing Saturday we know what nothing Saturday is like it's in seasons where there's pain and hurt and hopelessness but we because of Christ and knowing Christ and knowing the end of the story we can go through nothing Saturday type seasons in our life whether it be one day whether it be years or whether it be our whole life where we're asking the question why why is this happening why is there evil why is there hurt why is there pain But we as Christians can go through those seasons and say statements like this, Sunday is coming. What we mean by that is that the resurrection is coming, that Christ, or better yet, it has already come. Therefore, we can have hope through these difficult moments. But it starts with the truth that there was a literal miracle. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul deals with something that we deal with today in our culture. One of the things that is attacked the most about Christianity is, did Christ actually raise from the dead? Surely that's just an, that's just an old, uh, wise tale, isn't it? Surely that's just a fable. Surely that cannot be true. Why? Because we're an enlightened culture. We're a rationalistic culture. We're a scientific culture. Therefore, we know that, that miracles don't really actually happen. So anytime a miracle is talked about in the Bible, it must, just, it must be an allegory. It must be trying to say some type of metaphorical truth. 
surely it couldn't have actually happened. Only dumb people really believe it happens. This is the thoughts of those who would attack Christianity and specifically the resurrection within Christianity. But Paul is dealing with the same thing when he says this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, which is what we proclaim, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? 2,000 years ago, Paul was dealing with the same group of people saying, surely there's not a real resurrection. We're all smarter than that. Surely that couldn't have happened, right? But Paul says this, but if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he has raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile or pointless and you are still in your sins. Understand his argument. If Christ isn't raised from the dead, then you and I can't be raised from the dead. And if you and I cannot be raised from the dead, then we are still in our sin. What does he mean by that? He's referring to what is explicitly communicated in Ephesians chapter 2, that before coming to faith in Christ, Ephesians 2 says you are dead in your sins. This is important, because we as Christians, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we're not just saying we're you know, uh, 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 sick people who need healing or bad people who need to be made good or dirty people who need to be made clean. We are clearly communicating we are dead people who are made alive. And this, is, this requires a literal miracle. And if Paul's saying, if Christ is not raised, then you and I cannot be raised, as Ephesians 2 says. And if, if we cannot be raised, then we are still dead in our sins. We don't have an answer to nothing Saturday. We don't have an answer to these hopeless moments. We don't have answers to all, this, all these questions about pain and suffering and how we are separated from God. We don't have these answers. We don't have answers about where things, uh, where the world came from and all this stuff. It all hinges on this question, is Christ actually raised from the dead? And if you and I try to justify the resurrection of Christ as anything other than literal, then we are completely losing the foundation for all of our beliefs. Because if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then all of us are here in vain and it is pointless. And we are to be pitied most, Paul says. But we believe, and we genuinely and truly believe, that Christ was literally raised. This was a literal miracle. So first, we see a miracle take place. Second, I want us to see the message. Look at verse 5 with me again. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. This is a message of good news. Imagine yourself, put ourselves back in the thought experiment, and imagine you just went through Good Friday, you went through the crucifixion, you went through all the torment of emotions that Saturday came, and you finally on Sunday morning, you're coming to put your hands on the body of Jesus and to give him honor that is due in a proper burial, and then you hear that he is no longer dead. This is good news. 
And this is the best news. This is, it changes the story. As quick as the story went from exalting him as king to crucifying him as king, as much as that quickly changed, and you're going, how did that happen? The story makes a shift again, and he goes from death to life. This is good news. But I want us to see something. When it says in verse 6, he is not here, for he has risen as he said. I want us to point out something this, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached here in Matthew 28, that Jesus is alive, is not a new message. Specifically, the angel says, as he said, referring to Jesus. We know from Mark specifically that Mark gives three examples where Jesus proclaims that he's going to die and on the third day be raised again. The first time he says it, Peter goes, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Um, how are you going to rebuke the king of the universe, but go ahead, Peter, be an idiot. So he says, no, 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 that's not going to, that was kind of funny, all right? Y'all can laugh, loosen up a little bit, right? He says, no, that's not going to happen. The next two times that Jesus says that I'm going to die and raise again on the third day, they go on to argue about who's going to be greatest in his kingdom. They don't, they don't even pay attention to what he says, because think about it. If he dies, then you might be asking the question, am I even, how are we even going to reign at all if you're dead? But they just ignore that and go, who's going to be greatest in your kingdom? Like, who's going to be this greatest? And they, they miss the point and they forget. We too understand this. I have short-term and long-term memory loss a lot of times when dealing with God, Christ's goodness in my life. But they completely forget that he says this. And then the angel says, he is not here for he is risen as he said. But I want us to get something else. The message of the gospel didn't begin with Jesus proclaiming the gospel either. Not at least not in his physical body here on earth. All throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testaments are proclaiming this moment. All throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to draw your attention just to one example of prophecy of Jesus' crucifixion. In Psalms 22, Psalms 22 is a psalm that was written by King David around 1000 B.C. And him describing a lot of different things about the crucifixion, he says this in verse 16. He says, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me, and they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. In Matthew chapter 27, we see Jesus before he dies make this statement, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me. Psalms 22 verse 1 begins with that phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They would have understood that Jesus, when he makes that statement, he was referring to Psalms 22. Everybody, all the Jewish audience who knew the scriptures would have heard that and listened to his statement and would have known and would have thought of the reality of Psalms 22 verse 16, for they have pierced my hands and my feet and they would have made it, they would have understood that Jesus was making it clear that Psalms 22 was talking about that moment. That Psalms 22 was talking about the moment that he would be crucified. But I want us to get something that gets even better. Is that Psalms 22 written around 1000 BC by King David talking about pierced hands and feet. We can vision that as the crucifixion. But historians will tell us and show us that the first sign of crucifixion was during the Persian Empire 500 BC. 500 years after King David wrote this statement. So not only did King David prophesy about how the Messiah would die, he prophesied about how he would die through a means that hadn't even been invented yet. You can't make this up. This is a literal way to show the prophecy. This has been a message that has been proclaimed. But it gets even better because it goes even before that. 
For those who have been around, you've heard me teach on this before, but Genesis chapter 3, where we see sin enter the world, as Scripture tells us, through the rebellion of Adam and Eve, God begins to lay out curses on those involved. And one of the curses on the enemy, on the serpent, is in verse 15, which is actually good news. It's a promise to us of how God is going to fix what we just broke. And he says this in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. All right, pastor, how does this talk about Christ's crucifixion? It's real poetic. It makes no sense because it doesn't say it explicitly. Tell me how. Three things I want us to notice. When he makes this statement, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. This, he is communicating the virgin birth. How is he communicating the virgin birth? If you, and I'm not going for time's sake, I'm not going to look at a lot of examples, but if you look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you can go to Genesis 5 for the Old Testament, 5 and 6, and Matthew chapter 1 is a New Testament example. When we see the scripture writers go from one generation to the next generation, they always go from father to son. They always go from male to male. They never, not one time, other than this, do they go from female to the next generation? Now, we know that women are clearly involved in the birth of the next generation. So not denying that, but what the point is, is it always traced the lineage through male to male or through, if there wasn't a son, through male to the daughter. But the fact that Genesis 3 takes it from female, the only time in Scripture we see this, from female to the next generation is because it's clear that there's going to be no male contribution to the offspring that is referred to in Genesis 3.15. This is God prophesying about the virgin birth. And then he goes on to say, the second thing, the one who is virgin born, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, you shall bruise his heel. Remember, he's talking to a serpent. He's talking to that imagery of a serpent. And, and so when a serpent, a venomous serpent, bites you on the heel, this is a fatal blow. Yes, it's a fatal blow. But third, he shall bruise your, he, he shall bruise your head. That you shall bruise his heel statement is clearly referring to the crucifixion. It is the moment that the enemy is going to give a fatal blow to the one who is virgin born. That's Jesus on the cross. But then he shall bruise your head. He shall crush your head. Referring to the resurrection. Now, Hebrew, at the beginning of a sentence, will put the most important thing at the beginning. Word order isn't important. Okay? And so they can put at the beginning the one that is emphasized. And I want you to notice that in verse 15, he shall bruise your head. Although is chronologically second in events, is first in the language because he's emphasizing the truth and the importance of this reality that he shall bruise your head. What's the point? The moment, the day that sin entered the world, God said, I'm going to send one who is virgin born, who you, serpent, you will crucify him, but he will have the last victory when he is resurrected and crushes your head. There is a miracle, and then there is a message. And in Matthew 28, when the angel says, he is not here, for he has risen, as he said, God inspiring human authors all throughout history has been communicating as he said that this day was going to come. That resurrection Sunday was coming. Come see the place where he lay. Not only do we see a miracle, not only do we see a message, but thirdly, we see a Messiah. Look at verse 8 with me. 
So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. What makes for us Christianity uh, unique, and specifically the gospel that I want to emphasize, is Christianity isn't just about believing in a miracle of resurrection. It's just not about believing in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's because of the miracle and because of the message being proclaimed to us that you and I can thirdly know the Messiah I want us to see that through, because of the miracle of Jesus Christ and through the proclamation of the angel, the message of the gospel, that they went out and Jesus met them and said, greetings. And what? They came up and took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Guys, what's unique about Christianity is not just our belief in a miracle or our belief in a message, but our belief in a person who we know personally. John chapter 17 says that eternal life is that you know God the Father and His Son whom He has sent, Jesus Christ. Eternal life, to know eternal life, to have life, is to know the person of Jesus Christ. And better yet, for Him to know you. It's not to know about Him. It's not to know the things of Him. It's not to have just right doctrine and believe all these things, although that's important. Ultimately, Christianity is not about what you know, but about whom you know. And I want us to see that because of the miracle, that because of the message, that there's an invitation to personal relationship with the Messiah. The disciples and those who are close to Jesus right after his crucifixion who are asking the question, surely this isn't the end of the story because how can a king be reigning and ruling if he is dead? And the truth is, it's not the end of the story, but we do know the end of the story. We know that Sunday came, that we know that resurrection came, and we know that we serve a king who is alive. And I'll ask you the question, because I want you to see what Jesus says. He says, greetings, that this is personal. This is someone he knows. And the question I have to play off this language, has Christ ever said greetings to you? Meaning, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Has he ever given you life? In the same way that Christ was resurrected from death to life, salvation is Jesus, is resurrection in your life. It is taking you from death to life. I referenced Ephesians 2 earlier, but Ephesians 2 makes this clear, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but verse 5, 6 and following says, that, but also, likewise, that Christ was raised from the dead, you too, in Christ, are made alive. You are raised to life, and you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Salvation is taking you from spiritual death to spiritual life in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know the Messiah? We celebrate Easter not just because Jesus is alive, not just because the miracle happened, not just because we've heard the message, but because there is actually a Messiah to worship. They fell down at his feet and they worshiped him. Then lastly, we see the miracle, the message, the Messiah, and lastly, we see the mission. Look at verse 10 with me. And they said to him, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, Jesus gives this statement to Mary, the two, the two Marys that are represented, but also the angel. The angel says to go to Galilee. Now, I want us to get something. If, if two people, an angel and Jesus himself, tell you to go to Galilee and I will meet you there, you're asking the question, this, this is important. What's happening at this meeting? 
This is the only, what we're about to see this meeting take place at the end of Matthew chapter 28. This is the only post-resurrection appearance that we see happen that the disciples knew was going to happen. Meaning it's the only time Jesus said, I'm going to show up. All the other times he just showed up in the room. Just had this miraculous moments where he showed up in the room. But this time, he said, it's so important. I'm going to tell you where to go, and I will meet you there. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, records this meeting, and he says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Listen to this mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We would miss the resurrection and we would miss Matthew 28 if we did not recognize that the fact that Christ was raised to life ever since then, the angel and himself was pointing to this moment where he would pass on his mission to his disciples. The fact that he is alive, the fact that he's been raised to life, that gives us hope. That when we're living in nothing Saturday type days of pain and suffering and questions, even questions of going, God, why is this happening? Surely this isn't how it ends. That when we're in those moments, we can look to Resurrection Sunday and there is hope that Sunday is coming. That Christ has a reason and a purpose for all of these things. And so we celebrate that and we look to that, but we would be missing the Easter message also if we didn't see what came after the resurrection, and that was a mission to be followed. That Christ has saved us to send us, that you and I have a purpose. We have hope and eternal life in Jesus, but I want us to get something. The scripture tells us that one day, because of Christ's life, that he is going to make us completely new, he's going to make all things new, and we're going to be in his perfect glorified presence. Question. Why did, when he raised me from spiritual death to life, he didn't immediately just take me into his presence? Why did he leave me behind? Here's the reason why he left us behind. is because he has a mission for us to be engaged in. He has a mission for us to make him famous. He has a mission and a purpose for us to follow. This is good news. Because listen to me, I may one day be famous, you may be one day be famous, whatever, but eventually someone more famous can come along and history is going to forget us. But if we give our lives to make Jesus famous, that lasts for all eternity. And so the invitation is to live for something greater than yourself. That because of Christ's life, that it all, all of creation centers on him. It's all about him. That we have hope in nothing Saturdays, but we also have a mission and a purpose that comes to our life. All of us have different vocations. We do different things. We have different giftings. But all of us in Jesus have a purpose to make him famous. When he makes this statement, go and make disciples of all nations, the Greek language there for nations is ta ethne. You can hear it in the English word ethnic, ethne, ethnic. That Christ is saying, go to all ethnic groups and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to go across the street. We are to go to the ends of the earth. We are to make Jesus famous. We are to go to tell the nations that a miracle has happened. Jesus is alive. That then we do that by proclaiming the message and we pointing people to relationship in the Messiah. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, But if anyone will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See the emphasis on raised from the dead? Because at the end of the day, if Jesus is dead still today, you and I have no hope. You and I are still in our sins, and we are still in nothing Saturday. 
going, what is the purpose of all of this? But if Jesus is alive, then that means there is Resurrection Sunday. That means there is Easter Sunday. That means there is hope. That means that you and I have hope. That means that we can have life, that we can have eternal life in the person of Jesus Christ. But it also pushes us out on mission. Can I say it this way? That we have Good Friday. We have nothing Saturday. We have Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. And then we have Mission Monday. See the flow of that? See the flow of that even in this text? That the resurrection, the gospel writer doesn't end his story with the fact that Christ is alive. And that, that would have been a good way to end the story. But he doesn't end the story because the story's not ended there. The story ends with Jesus passing on his mission to his disciples to go let everybody know that he is alive. And likewise, we celebrate Good Friday. During Nothing Saturday, we look to Easter Sunday. And then we experience and we have hope in Easter Sunday. And that compels us to Mission Monday. You and I have a purpose. And the purpose is to make Jesus famous. The purpose is to worship Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for us and give us a call to invitation as well. So let me just begin by, by praying. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for Easter Sunday. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for life. Jesus, we worship you because you are alive. And the fact that you are alive means that I'm not just talking in the air right now, but, I, but that you are listening, that you are alive, that you are on your throne, that you are no longer in the grave, but you are alive. This is good news. This we shall and will celebrate. Not just on Easter Sunday every year, but every single Sunday and every single day that we have breath, we have eternal life because you are alive. That we are so grateful for. That we worship you for and that gives us hope. So Jesus, right now I just want to pray over those in this room that, that may find themselves in nothing Saturday. Just in hurt and pain and brokenness and just in a difficult season. I pray that they could see that Sunday's coming. That Sunday is coming. That means there is hope. There is always hope in Jesus. And that they can put their cares upon you and trust you. Father, I pray for those in the room that are, maybe their whole life right now is marked by nothing Saturday. And what I mean by that is, you've never experienced the resurrection life in Jesus Christ. Meaning you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. That your heart is still in nothing Saturday. Hopeless and helpless. Under the holy, just wrath and judgment of God. But would you see that Christ is alive. And that if you put your faith and trust in him. That you call upon him as Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Your heart too shall be raised from the dead. So Holy Spirit I pray over this room. There are hearts that are dead that don't know you. Would you raise them to life in this place. Only you can do that. Only you can raise hearts to life. So Father, the first invitation is I'm begging you, would you bring hearts to life? Church family, if you're listening to me and if you're in nothing Saturday and you're, you're asked the question is, do I have life in Jesus? And you were to answer that, no, I don't know that I do. Would you hear the invitation from Jesus to come to him? Would you profess him as Lord, trust in him, and he promises that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and make us white as snow. 
to purify us and to cleanse us. Would you allow, to call upon him, and he'll take your heart from death to life. The second invitation, church family, is for us, those who are believers, to see that we anticipate and we celebrate Easter, but Easter means that there's a mission Monday. That tomorrow, when you wake up, when you're on the subway or you're at work or whatever you may be doing, that God has a plan and purpose for your life. And that plan and purpose is to make him famous. The plan and purpose is to use you to advance the good news of Jesus Christ, to advance the message that Jesus is alive. Would you leverage your life in such a way that would make Jesus famous? That can be in big ways and small ways. It can be just simply as working with integrity. It can mean just simply as working in such a way that that you're honest and work hard. It means that you share the gospel and communicate the good news of Jesus Christ as well. Two invitations. First, if you don't know Jesus, would you see that he's inviting you into intimacy and relationship with him? That he is willing and able to raise you from death to life. Would you call upon him in salvation today? And if you have questions, I'm available. Would love to try to answer your questions after service. And the second invitation to us is to be reminded that he has saved us and sent us. That the same power that raised him and us from the dead is the same power that breathes anointing into us to make him famous. So would we step into the mission Monday that lies ahead of us? I want to invite you, would you just stand with me and we're just going to continue in a time of worshiping Jesus in this moment. Praise the Lord.